A Podcast One production. This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their defining things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain an insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Justin Roderick Jones is Australia's preeminent explorer. Over the past two decades, Justin has made a career of undertaking epic expeditions including kayaking from Australia to New Zealand and skiing across Antarctica, and then sharing the stories and learnings from these adventures on stage and screen. Most recently, he's finished editing his latest film about his outback expedition when he walked across Australia, importantly, with both his wife and young one-year-old daughter. So you need to tell me, when you were choosing your five, did you discuss it with... Uh, your wife and mates, or did you do it personally? Personally. And without telling me what the actual item is itself, is what was the one that you found most challenging to actually decide upon? I actually found several of them. And, and the okay. reason being, uh, film, very right. hard. Book, very hard. And song, very hard for me. Okay. And, 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 and Apologies. I, well, no, that's completely fine. It's quite an interesting exercise to do because it allows you to look at yourself and go, oh, geez, you know, why is that important to me? Why mm. has that actually had an impact on me? And for me... Um, I think those ones were hard in particular because they're not things that I have, I've experienced. They're, they're, they're things that have had an impact on me that I didn't create. And so I guess I'm heavily influenced by a lot of other things, I guess. I love the format because many of the guests say what you've said, which is I had to think about it. And you go, yeah, that's, that's the point. And, and, and so for, we've had some wonderful conversations and I saw your brilliant new film last night. It is, uh, I like the fact that it, pushes you outside the thing that you are famous rightly for. So there's one thing we could do. I could spend half an hour talking about, tell me about how you kayaked in New Zealand and how you skied across Antarctica, and I'm not. (laughs) I'm going to ask you, tell me why you chose the highest grossing film of 1960, the film that beat Psycho, um, the film that beat Spartacus. You chose the iconic Disney classic, Swiss Family Robinson. Did it honestly do all that? It, it was the <laughs> most successful film of that year. And, and if you index it against inflation, huh. it's debatable whether it's the most successful film of all time. Oh my gosh, I didn't realise that. I just, I just like the film. <laughs> um, so I probably watched that film when I, was, when I was a youngster. I think I was about eight years old was the first time. And I watched it several times as a kid. And I think it was quite, had, a, had an impact on me and, and my later career choice. But the reason why it stuck with me I remember watching, I think it was on a Sunday afternoon in Jakarta. That's where we used to live. Uh, with your family or just by yourself? I, I, I think I was actually by myself when I watched this. And, you know, mum and dad were doing something. My sister was nowhere to be seen. My brother was at boarding school. And it was a dusty, hot Sunday afternoon. And there's only very few channels that, that show English shows. And this was one of them. And I remember being hooked and watching this. And the reason why it impacted me was I, I love the idea of a grand adventure being stuck on an island. And I, I really want to be shipwrecked one day. I really honestly do. If I, if I have to manufacture it, I will do it. If it happens in real life, even better. Uh, but later that week, I was playing with a mate of mine from school and he happened to watch this man. He happened to watch this show as well, this movie. 
And so we decided to, you know, let's 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 play Smith Family Robinson. Let's let's be like the uh, I forget the surname of the family, but let's be like Fritz and Ernst and Francis. And um, there's a scene in it where they have this big battle with these pirates that are sort of coming to this island to to take over and, and, and take this family away and kidnap them and ransom them. And they've got coconut bombs and muskets, and it's really fanciful. So we decided, right, we had BB guns, because it's Indonesia, you could have that. We were shooting each other with it. It happened in this backyard. One of us was the pirates. The other guy was the, uh, was the family. But also, we needed to have coconut bombs. So it being Indonesia, you could buy fireworks, actually, at the local supermarket. <laughs> so we went down, jumped on our bikes, went down to the local supermarket from his place, and got these things, and we were setting them off in the backyard. It was fine. I don't think his mum was home, but um, there were a couple other people around, but they just kind of ignored us, because in Indonesia, you've got sort of like, I suppose, house help, and, and they just kind of let you do what you want. And one of the, one of the fireworks, its fuse fell out. And so we're like, we, we want to light this. It's the biggest one. We want to light this thing. So how can we actually light this thing? So Martin and I, we actually went to the petrol station because uh, we thought this would be a great idea, I think influenced by other sort of Hollywood movies at the time. Um, what we could do is we'd get some petrol and then maybe we could, we could do a trail of petrol in the backyard, light this thing, and then get this thing to blow up that way. Anyway, we get caught. We'd laid a, a, a trail of petrol in the backyard and we're about to light this thing when his mum happens to get home and walks in, sees what we're doing, blows up at us. Blow, honestly, goes nuts. And um, I can't remember 100% correctly, but I'm pretty sure we both got you know pretty clocked around the head uh, for doing that, rightly so. But for some reason, that's just cemented this film in for yeah. me. And, I, and if... Ever since then, I've been I've watched it several times as a kid, and just the idea of you know that kind of high adventure, high seas, high adventure. So, so the poster says the greatest adventure of all time. It really and, is. And what what I mean, it, it, it the deepest craving of any human being is is to belong, and within that, most people would cling to a sort of a hardwired desire to belong to a family unit. And the notion, uh, I mean, I, I rewatched it in your honour. Uh, it's a bit dated now, but, but, <laughs> but it is the notion of, on a really deep, visceral level, we as a family are being attacked. So we are going to defend each other. So it's not just, oh, isn't it fun, the coconut bombs. It's, it, it's mum and dad and brother and sisters, you know, defending ourselves. But the, the film is based on the 1812 novel. And in the novel, there are no pirates. And there isn't any Roberta. Right, so the bloody Hollywood executives, hilarious. I, I, I was in a, uh, a, a meeting in Hollywood with a senior film uh, executive, a disgusting individual, who was explaining <laughs> to me, that, uh, as when I was trying to make that, the, the, my first book into a film, he's explained to me that there's only one plot. And I go, what do you mean there's only one plot? There's hundreds. There's only one plot. And I go, okay, mate, what is it? And he goes, the delayed route. And I go, the what? He goes, the delayed route. And so I, I go through all these films, which aren't about the delayed route, and yeah. all of them, he comes back, Titanic, yeah, delayed route. Pretty Woman, yeah, delayed route. Crocodile, delayed route. Yeah. Swift, Family Robinson, oh, we can't find the who gets the girl story. Injected. We'll put one in. Yep. Here comes Roberta. Well, it makes sense as well, because like, I think Francis and Ernst, uh, Ernest are, are fighting over her. Yeah, that, that's, that's the yeah. whole point. Yeah, 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 so, so, so the, you could have made, uh, and I think that bloke was a goose and he is wrong. I think you and I would still love that film if the Roberta character wasn't there and the sons weren't fighting for her affections. Yeah. But Hollywood ain't gonna, Hollywood's not going to accept that. We need the who gets the girl story. Actually, out of curiosity, who do you, like, because one of them gets the girl, the other one doesn't. Who yeah. do you side with? Um, who do you identify with? Oh, well, probably the bookish one. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. I'm not saying because yeah. I'm, I'm saying because I'm not <laughs> rough and tough. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd probably go with that. Or even Francis, the one that's not even playing a role. Yes, the, 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 the youngest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lovely. Oh, fantastic. But given it's, for me, its essence is family, tell me about, you, you've got, you're the youngest of three, aren't you? Yes. And uh, mum and dad, I met your dad last night, but um, uh, tell me about your family unit. Were you close or... Would you, would you have been a good family on that island or, or were you bickering all the time or what? I think we would have been, actually, oh, wow. I actually think there's parallels between the family unit and and my family. So subconsciously, I think actually that's probably what was going on for me to a degree. I mean, I don't think my dad's kind of like the the crazy, um, well, not the crazy, he's really calm and measured the dad in the, in the film, but dad's had some pretty wild stories. Growing up in in sort of Australia, but then going up to the Northern Territory when he was young, having his parts license before he had his driver's license. Mum is a hardcore Asian tiger mum. She's brilliant. She's just... <laughs> She's and, and, and is Asian Tiger, uh, that, that's pushing children to, to excel, is that the idea? Pushing t- children to uh, excel, but also just will fight for their kids, you know, right. well, like unbelievably. She's like a fierce tiger. But she's uh, quite diminutive uh, oh, physically. She's, she's tiny. My mom's like 5'1", five, 5'2". Five, yeah. But um, she's got like a character and a personality that is absolutely mon- you know, monstrous. It's huge. Right. Um, my brother, the eldest, yeah, he actually probably suits um, Fritz. Fritz is it? Yeah, Fritz is the oldest. Um, my sister probably is the bookish one in the middle, and then there's me, who's probably the mummy's boy. So it does, it does, it does work actually. Fantastic. Now, for your book, we are going to stay in the same era, and we're going to stay um, with fiction. Uh, and you have chosen Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, and, and I have got an apology to make because when you sent your choices through, I said, "Listen, numbnut, I want one, not three. Uh. The, the, the format doesn't work, and you can't come on unless you choose one." And you know, and and you were right; I was wrong. Tolkien, that is one book. It is one book. It's not a trilogy. Uh, it, you know, it's been published as six. It's, it's just because the publishing industry don't like publishing thirteen hundred page yeah. novels. He never thought of it as three instalments. He wrote it as one. So I stand corrected and I apologise. Thank you. That's Tell what... <laughs> me why you chose The Lord of the Rings. Uh, how, how, how could you not pick that book? It's, it's epic. I, so this, this actually probably stems back from childhood, this, this impact this book had on me. Um, 11 years old, and that was the first time I read it. And I read it subsequently every year after that until the movies were released. And the movie's amazing, but they kind of ruined it for me as well because they took that imagination. So you've read it seven times. If, if I've done my chronology right, so 11 until 2001, you've read it seven times. Yeah. If not, That's if, a if lot not of actually pages. More. Seven times 1,300, mate. Because, because I had to catch up as well because I think they released the movies one, yeah, 20, 2001, 2, and 3. Yeah. So I had to catch up on the other books as well uh, in between. Um, yeah, I, I did. So Indonesia, hot place, hot country. The only area that was actually air-conditioned properly in our school was the library. So I used to use that as an escape. I used to go off and, and discipline the library. And I was a voracious reader as a kid. I can't afford myself that luxury now because I just don't have that much time. I'm that bloke that will sit up till 4am to, you know, pull the band-aid off to finish a book so that I can get on with the rest of my life. But Tolkien's world is just so immersive and huge. Like the stuff he creates, this, 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 it's just amazing. He creates a universe. He creates an entire language. Um, I'm fascinated by this movie that's going to come out about him coming up soon. But oh, about Tolkien himself. About Tolkien himself. There's a, I think, a Hollywood or a British movie coming so, out. About so Tolkien. he is a fascinating because of meeting you and researching this. He's a fascinating mm. character. And, and the Lord of the Rings was heavily influenced by his first World War experience. Yes. So he was in the Battle of the Somme. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you go, oh, isn't it awful? The orcs are killing so and so. Go, not as awful as actually being in the real World War One. You know, you think that poor bastard. 
you, you know, you could see... It, it's fascinating for me, researching. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. It's one book, and the poor bloke... All of his school friends, bar one, were killed. The description. Like, you see that in, in the battles, uh, you know... The battles that actually happened there, the descriptions are so real and so vivid, and just you can see he's gone to some dark places. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, he was buddies with C.S. Lewis back in the day as well. And they, um, it's funny, they both sort of created these fantasical, fantasical worlds, um, just very, very different in the way. And, and so it's, it's a sequel to The Hobbit, which I also didn't realize. Yep. It is. Uh, do you did you go back and read The Hobbit or not, or are you you're just a fan of the Lord of the Rings? I, I started with Lord of the Rings, and I did go back to The Hobbit. The Hobbit is written, I think, as a child's book. It, right. it, it is different. It's a little bit more. You know. It's lighter. Um, and interestingly enough, his other works are quite interesting as well. The Silmarillion, uh, I got a lot out of that, even though it's boring because yeah. it's not a proper story. It just shows the amount of thought that he actually had in creating a world. And I think for me, there's a big part of about escape around yeah. that. Like I, it, for me, I, I dive into fantasy books like that. I, it's this whole grand adventure thing. Um, it's a core part of my being. And, and, and do you think that you, you're, you're adventuring, which you are very well known for, in terms of how much of it is push and how much of it is pull? And by that, I mean how much of it is you actually want to uh, kayak to New Zealand and how much is you want to escape from being a, a urban dwelling hamster on the, the, the wheel of, you know, we, we make money and then we die. Uh, um, is it equal proportions or...? or? I, I think it's changed. Right. I do think it has changed. I think initially when I was younger, it was, you know, wanting that yearning for that that challenge, that adventure. And now maybe it is more of an escape and it's been pushed uh, trying to see how I can actually merge family and adventure because you get, as you get older, you know, the responsibilities increase and you kind of feel, you feel trapped by societal yeah. expectations. And I suppose I have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to that. And so well, how can I actually try and do something different? So I'm getting pushed out of the door that way. Um, you know, I almost gave up the idea of adventuring, I suppose, when, when family came around. Yep. It was a bit of a tough situation for me like Morgan was born a lot of people saying hey you've got to stop hang up the boots no more adventures in particular my mum and I I bought in I I really actually agreed and I I said you know what I can't do this anymore and it was Lauren who actually saved me she was the one who said I can see you want to do another trip and I want you to be you authentically as a person so why don't we go on your next expedition as a family she's a keeper oh mate made such a good call (laughs) my favourite playwright Chekhov had a phrase which is any fool can face a crisis it's day to day living that's the real challenge and you go wow that's that's always stuck with me you go so so when you are when you've got a fabulous guy you know if if I don't pull this sledge today 20k I'm going to die or be eaten by wolves or whatever else it concentrates your mind if you go I've got to get up it's Tuesday and go to the accountancy firm and talk rubbish and then come home and be mildly disappointed for the next 35 years in some ways that's utterly heroic it's interesting it isn't just um, you, you can't always live on top of the mountain you have to come back, and and when I imagine when when you're <laughs> when you're walking around Bondi, it would be natural to think, why aren't people pointing at me, going, it's him? But but, but they've got their heads down and they're going off trudging to the bus stop, you know. So in my life, the small little things I might have done here and there that have, have edged towards the foothills of success, no one gives a shit, you know. The real world just sort of goes on around you. Anyway. My, my my wife actually says to me, she calls me on it every now and then. So I'll um I'll have a meltdown over the most mundane little thing that happens at home and get frustrated and angry. She she'll pull me up and go, you know what's going on for you? Because like if something bad happens on a trip, you handle it with you know just it's just taking it in your stride and you just push on. And 
it stops me in my tracks when she when she pulls me up on that. And I'm like, you know, actually you're right. And I realize that I fall in and fall out of what I call is an expedition mindset. So ah, like, there's expedition, Justin, and there's real, Justin. So I have these two mindsets and, and, and one's kind of the expedition mindset that I apply on an expedition. I, I call it actually adventure thinking. Um, and I realize that when I'm back at home dealing with mundane day-to-day things, I don't have this kind of mindset. I, I can fall down in a heap over the most stupid little things, be late, be in traffic. And for me, I've realized that I can, I can actually switch at will now to having the right mindset. So like looking at something, realizing what the stakes are, realizing, you know, what the course of action I need to do and just getting on with it. And I think that everyone can actually do that. I'm I'm a pretty simple, bloody average, normal bloke, but it's just, uh, I think through repetition experience and desire have, have been able to sort of push my brain and my, uh, uh, my process is in a certain way of being able to deal with things that are not normal. So watching your film, your, your film about your um, Outback trek with your wife and daughter, w- one of the things I found uh, remarkable about you, and it might have been vain editing, but I'm taking it on uh, 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 as, as uh, on trust, but is every time, 11 punches, you just sort of shrugged your shoulders and got on with it. And to to be able to... What a gift if you can bring that into real life, right? So, so, so I share uh, your reaction to everyday mundane frustrations. You go, oh, and my wife says, but Nigel, just, just do the thing they want. Don't rail against why does Waverley Council want me to fill out another form for the car parking when I've been doing it for 17 years? Why can't they just say it's him and re... You know? But I've wasted so much energy. If I'd just done the thing they wanted to do, it, I would already have the sticker in my car. And, and, and if I was on expedition or, or doing a speech or a big corporate meeting, I, I, I wouldn't, I'm so focused on the end result that I do the right things. I choose helpful reactions and maybe we just get complacent in our, in our everyday domestic terrain and, and, and lose the right attitude. I think so. I think you also you lose sight of the bigger picture, why you're doing things, the reason for it and, um, and what motivates you uh, as a person. I mean... <laughs> I'm really good at plugging away as well. And I don't know whether that's a, a positive or a negative because sometimes I can plug away too hard and too long on the wrong course because I'm just too bloody stubborn. Um, yeah, or maybe slightly masochistic. Right. There's something about just sort of like having to having to sort of put yourself in a hard situation so you're forced to rise. I, I honestly believe that humans, we're all, we all have this boundary, this box around us, and it's only when we actually push the boundaries of that box do we actually get room to grow. Yeah. Um, so does that answer that kind of question? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Now, for your song, we are going to move 20 years forward, but we're going to stay with a populist theme. You've chosen one of the most successful films of all time, one of the most successful books of all time, and you've chosen a song that The Guardian in 2016 proclaimed in one of those idiotic surveys, the best pop song ever made. It's the lead single from ABBA's fourth album, the only ABBA single ever to go to number one in America. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Dancing Queen. Uh, when I first heard it, when I was a kid on road trips with my parents, I, I probably didn't think that much of it. And mum and dad would have, you know, a combination of, I think, the Beatles, ABBA and um, Beach Boys kind of playing on these long trips. So it went in one ear and went out the other. But it only really, I think, 
cemented itself as a as an important song to me when I was older. And Lauren and I got married. We went to Vancouver Island. Was our sort of like immediate honeymoon afterwards because we were married up in the San Juan Islands off Seattle. Is it as beautiful as everyone says it is. I've always wanted it's to go. It's stunning. Like right. seriously, you have to go. Um, so we were up in Vancouver Island, and um, I think we were in Souk, and there was this little you know cafe that had records there you know and so the guy was selling off his personal collection and so I picked up a couple of records and Abba was one of them flew back to Australia and it kind of sat there dusty and whatnot and Morgan when she was born um, and starting to sort of crawl around and totter around prior to the trip I remember putting on the LP player Abba and just seeing her light up when Dancing Queen sort of played and so from like for months and months, even to this day, she still asks for ABBA, Dancing Queen, and we have these interim, like, sort of impromptu dance parties in our living room. For me, it symbolizes Morgan, family, and, and our, our family unit for me, um, and how important that is, and, and I suppose the sacrifices you kind of make for family, because with me, with my adventuring career, um, my risk profile changed when, as soon as Morgan was born and, you know, I was voluntarily going to give up adventuring, uh, per se, until Lauren kind of saved me from that. And because family and adventure, it does seem incongruous. They don't, hmm. they don't work. My, my field has a high rate of divorce. And so I thought, you know, I don't want to go through a divorce. I'm, I, I want to be a family man. I want to be a dad. I want to be a husband. And that's really important. It's more important than my career. Um, and it made me realize that, you know, I've done these big, crazy, great trips, these big moments, but life is not about big moments. It's about those moments in between. It's about dancing in the living room, screaming, yeah. seeing Dancing Queen with your daughter, having a dance party. Have you seen Free Solo about the um, Alex Honnold, the climber who climbs without ropes? Yes. Just amazing. Even though I knew the ending, as in he didn't die, I was biting my nails. Watch out, you're going to sleep. It was so, such an exciting, uh, profound film. But there's a scene in it where he, he's obviously quite a quirky character, um, and, and he's got this beautiful, lovely, and independent, strong, sexy uh, lover who's travelling with him in the, in the van. And, and she says, you, you know, if, I, if you had to choose between the mountain and me, and he, he didn't even pause, right, go, the mountain. And she goes, oh, what do you mean? Well, in the, ma- the mountain. I mean, if you're going to ask the mountain, you think, wow. I mean, in one way, that's, that's quite pure, um, but it might not lead to the longest period of happiness because she might nick off and you're left climbing a mountain with dodgy knees at the age of 53. Um, so I, I'm thrilled to hear you say what you say. But, but what you've done with your latest adventure is you've combined the two. Mm. And, and that's a very laudable, impressive feat. Uh, and as a as a dad with four kids, the oldest who's twenty four, the youngest who's eighteen, I'm interested to see how you travel with adventuring when they get older. Because in a way, when you can chuck Morgan screaming though she might be because she's teething, you can restrain her. You you could tie her to a chair and pull her along, but you can't do that with a nine year old or an 11-year-old, and they need to go to school. So the, the challenges never end. Have you, have you thought about, it's not so much, I know, I know you've got another one coming, congratulations, but have you thought about when you've got older chimps rather than younger chimps? Yeah, I have thought about that. And, and you have to be sort of dictated by them and what their desires and what they, what they want to do. And so I'm trying to lay a foundation for, for Morgan in particular that she can take on anything um, and she's comfortable in any environment. Like I'm a man of very random talents uh, and no fixed trade. And so the one thing that I know I can give it to her is I can give her a multitude of different experiences and give her the 
what I think the, the grounding she needs to to be successful in this crazy tumultuous um, ever changing world because right now freeze frame this moment right now that's the slowest it's get, the world is ever going to change you know it just increases increases so she's not going to be able to learn the right things at school so experiences I think and connection to people are the most important things um, and hopefully by taking her on these journeys now when she's young she'll be open to when she's older, and if not, that's cool. She can she can pick her own journey. But but then I think you've dodged the question, mate. So have you thought what you're going to do when she's twelve? Do you think you're going to be taking her on an adventure when she's twelve as opposed to one? It, I, I can't I can't put myself in the future. I'm like I'd like to. I really would, but I think it's going to be dictated by them. It's going to be if Morgan wants to come on a trip. Yes, and people ask me that. You know, in a it's a similar question, but in a different way. It's like if Morgan came up to me when she's older and said, "I want to do a trip." You know, I want to paddle a kayak across the Pacific. How I want to do wonderful if she did. Yeah. Well, they asked me how would you feel about that, and my immediate response actually is I would be her biggest impediment I would try and stop her right. and the reason for it is if she could get past me and then she shows me she can actually she's serious about it and then I'll help her okay um, so I look regardless of what she chooses um, I'll support her and back her with whatever she does and, and do you think there's um, uh, your, your wife is clearly a very accomplished uh, competent lady do you think there's a way in the future where you can divide and conquer and by that I mean she goes off and does an adventure and you stay at home yeah, and then vice versa. Because I, I, again, it might not be doable forever to always go off as a family unit. But there's no shame in saying, "Well, actually, I'll take this one. I'm going to sail around the world. Can you see you in a year with the kids?" And and vice versa. I think so. I think being able to be comfortable with time apart is is a really important thing. And so, you know, we've talked about sort of like how how the next five years of our lives look and whether we could do another trip and when we should do another trip as a family, or if I can do something solo, or and if I do that, maybe she wants to do an adventure in a different way, adventure of the mind, and disappear for you know a month on a a bit of a hiatus to to finish the book or do whatever. Um, is, the, is the book about her book, is that about the Outback Adventure or something different? It is about the Outback Adventure, but it sort of really goes into, I suppose, her background and, you know, her being a corporate girl, you know, on that path, on that ladder that you're told to be on. It's about, it's about conscious choice, deciding not sliding into a life. And it's very... You, you, you can't have everything you want in life, but you are allowed to choose what you're striving for. Yes. And it's entirely fine for people to say... Uh, I want to, you know, work for Westpac all my life. That's com- that's actually wonderful and brilliant, right? But if you don't want to, that's also wonderful and brilliant as well. We're all just trying to, you know, work it out the best we can with what we've got. Yeah, and it's just it's just hard when you're conditioned to believe a certain thing. With just, you know, your character doesn't actually suit what you're actually doing, and that's the incompatibility I think that leads to unhappy humans yeah. and disconnected people. And we need more connected people in this world. So we are going to move for your um, song, after your song, from Sweden, which was ABBA, to uh, Asia, because you've chosen Indonesia. Now, mate, one of the largest companies, most popular companies in the world, can we define it slightly more specifically, please? (laughs) Yes, we can. We can. We definitely can. Uh, I I probably should have told you that. Um, Benkulu. Have you ever heard of a place called Benkulu? Uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say no. Well, you, you probably shouldn't have, actually. Uh, so I was just setting you up to fail. Um, <laughs> Benkulu is on the island of Sumatra. So it's... Um, That's on the left, on, on the west side of Sumatra, isn't yep, it? Yep, correct. Yeah. And it's out, sort of this mid-southwest of, um, of the island. And the reason why I picked Benkulu, I can't actually remember ever being there. But this was a really formative part of my mythology as a human being. We went over to Indonesia when I was roughly, I think, a little bit older than six months old. 
and right. lived there for the next 11 years. Because dad had a job there? Or? Dad, dad was a geologist, so right. in particular precious metals, so uh, silver, tin, gold, um, that sort of stuff. And Bengkulu was a really hard place to get to. So we had to, I think, fly, um, catch a bus, then a boat, then like, walk somewhere. Like it was, it was a hard place to get to. And our house that we lived in for the next couple of years was next to a gold mine. We used to have bars outside the windows because you'd find in the morning tiger prints actually outside. And and I've got these all these great photos of sort of me sort of on these trails leading towards the gold mine just down the road. I mean, people used to get, used to get taken by tigers from right. the camp down there. It was it was really the Wild West. I don't remember this place from a bar of soap. I mean, I, it has no recollection of this in my mind, but it's such an important part of my mythology. You know, it's obviously had an impact to me. I can't remember it, but I know that, you know, I think sub to 90% of your um, neural pathways are getting laid down. So I was influenced by this, this, this place. But also din- dinner time conversations. So, so if, even if, it's like, it's like those uh, sort of sci-fi films, even if you weren't in Sumatra, if you were, to, so just pretend you grew up in Hillingdon, London, right? But you were told repeatedly from the age of three till 12 that you spent your first three years in Sumatra next to a gold mine where people were taken with tigers. Well, that's what you would, Believe becomes because, your reality because because why yeah. why, why why wouldn't you? Mm. And it's amazing. Uh, you're you're a lovely bloke, and talking to you and getting to know you through the research is it's sort of clear in some ways why you've ended up doing what you do. The, 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 the sort of you know you you were grew up in a jungle for Christ's sake where people were taken by tigers, and your favourite film is Swiss Family Robinson. Well, duh, he's an adventurer. It's it's lovely. It's interesting though. I don't. I didn't think that I was going to end up. An adventurer, I lost my way, I suppose, when I was in high school. And so but the years of 11 to, to 17, I was a really lost. I was the fat kid at school. You know, I, I'd probably about 20 kilos heavier than I am now. And I was, when I was in year 12, um, shy, really, really shy. And it was, that, that's not my character. Like I am an extrovert. I was this loud, rambunctious little kid that wanted to be in musicals when I was, when I was young. But then boarding school over here, I think I came over too young. 11 right. years old, you know, I, I was a mummy's boy at the time um, and I sort of got taken out of that structure and was forced to kind of survive. Even though I loved the experience, I think I skipped a, a, a stage in my developmental growth. I, I see you and I raise you. I was sent to boarding school at five. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, boo-hoo. Cry do, me a river. Do you, but... do you want to talk about it? There's a couch <laughs> over there. We can, we can lie <laughs> no, down. No, you don't want to see a grown man cry. But, but you met your, your great pal James. Mm. At, so, so, so everything, every cloud is a silver lining. Yeah. Your, your adventuring pal James. Yeah. That, that's amazing. How, how does he feel that you're the famous one? Could he give it, give two hoots or, or not? No, I think we both had the same sort of level of uh, notoriety um, out there. I've just... I've pres- I've continued on with doing these big ad- adventures and he's sort of pushed into sort of other things. Um, he took it a bit of a different response when he had his, his, um, his children. Right. Uh, to kind of hang up the boots for a while and focus on, on you know, I suppose, business. Um, we're going to come to your last choice, which is often my favourite one of my guests' choices because they, they rarely, if ever, choose anything of uh, large monetary value. They almost always choose something that's enormously personally important to them. And you've chosen your red, I might pronounce this wrong, Nalgene water bottle. I've been researching the company. Fascinating. It started as plastic products for laboratories yep. and then um, conservationists started using it because it was better for the environment. So then it, it sort of by mistake became a consumer brand. But uh, tell me why you have chosen your red water bottle. This thing has been on all my expeditions. 
But all my the major, same one, the same one. They're Are so they like, sponsoring you? Because no, they need no, to no, get they're not. On they're the not. Phone. <laughs> That's sensational. But these these things are epic. I mean, like just about every uh, now. There's a lot more brands coming out there, but back in the day, yeah, everyone had a Nalgene water bottle. And these things, they're so bloody hard. Not the soft ones, but the hard ones. They're, they're, they're these the wide mouth ones. The wide mouth. Yeah, you got yeah. to have a wide mouth. Got to have a wide mouth. Um, and the reasons for that come clear later. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it's it's been across the Tasman Sea with me. I mean, it's been down in Antarctica for, with, with me. It's been across the Outback, and I think the moment that I bonded with this—because can you bond with it? In you an anime? definitely can. I bonded with this thing in the middle of a storm on the Tasman Sea. So picture sort of ten meter waves in a little kayak, ten meter waves outside, crashing around the kayak. We've thrown out a big parachute anchor um, to kind of keep our tail to these oncoming waves, so we wouldn't roll down the face of them and capsize or anything like that. So ta- we're we're getting buffeted by this this these waves and. The whole back end of the kayak gets launched out of the water when it gets pulled by one of the waves. And the rope running back to our parachute anchor actually wraps around the rudder. Ah, not good. Not good. Lands back down. The kayak with us in it, with us in it fully loaded weighed about a ton. So you've got like a lot of stress and force on this rudder. And we didn't know whether that whole thing was going to rip, you know, the rudder off, break a hole in the kayak or do what. So had to put everyone on a high alert and... Um, put our survival suits on, have our EPIRBs on us, which are our, our rescue beacons, and just hope for the best. Just trust. Because we couldn't go out there. It was nighttime. Couldn't go out there and swim and try and release this, this rope around the rudder. And after about, I don't know, four or five, maybe six hours, uh, the exact same thing happened. The boat launched out of another wave and actually undid the tangle because you could hear this screech, this screech of the metal under strain. Um, released and immediately we relieve we're able to get some sleep that night even though i was rocking and rolling and i remember i was down the tight end of the kayak so looking up above my head you'd only see about 15 centimeters above me there's there's actually a roof just there and i'm actually claustrophobic so it wasn't a nice situation to be in getting hot and stuffy because i'm in my survival gear but i really had to go to the bathroom i think i know where this is going <laughs> and so the, the, the pee bottle that we normally had was up near James's head and I didn't want to disturb him because it, it was, it'd been a rough, rough night and I had my personal drinking water bottle, my, my, my red Nalgene. And so I had to stuff it down there and sort of <laughs> go to the bathroom in this thing and washed it out the next day but you know there's no real way to clean it and like that there was a certain tank because i was dehydrated there's a certain tank for the next week on and now, that ever since you've been bonded in a way well, it's, it's, it's one it's, of your friends it's, it's like i was consuming part of myself in a weird way and it, it has become part of me so on my major trips i've got to take it i feel naked without it i know that's a bit of a funny thing because it is just another possession um yeah no, but I, I think you can which is part of the reason why i devised the these five questions is i think it's absolutely legitimate to imbue inanimate objects with meaning. Mm. One of my favourite writers, Anthony Burgess, talks about how you can be in love with a, you know, your your lover's scarf. I mean, it, you know, it, it reminds you of her. It smells like her, and blah blah blah. Now, I, I don't do adventures, but I do love my little little bit of glamping. Um, but I did the um, the Franklin River. Oh, yeah. Thinking it might have been glamping. Oh, Full on no. experience for you? Oh, no. Have you, have you done it? No, no, I'd really like to, actually. How, so, how was it for you? Well, so, so, just heart-achingly beautiful and one of the best things I've ever done. But uh, I hadn't really read the memo. I must have missed a meeting. So we are talking on the first you know, day about what we're going to be doing yeah. and how it's a world conservation area and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll pick up my litter. And he go, no, you need to crap in a bag and take it out. And you go, but hold on, we're on this river for six days. Yeah, six days. There will be, in the, there, there was two big 
raft things, yep. uh, there will be one barrel that's got the word kitchen written on it and one barrel that's got the word lavatory written on it. And all of our turds from six days of hard... It was, um, I think it's uh, grade six, which is pretty yeah. intense, oh, yeah. um, uh, rafting exhibition, will be saved and put in the shit barrel. Unbelievable. I go, where's the shower? No tents. You're not allowed tents. No campsite. You go, how did... <laughs> you should have been on that trip, not me, because <laughs> it, was, it was pretty intense, and, and it, it makes me think I could never do what you do, and you are a real inspiration, and it's it's very sweet of you to come on here and talk honestly and authentically. You said that you could never do what I do. And I think that's utter bullshit. Like, honestly, I, I think, because I'm, I'm a freaking average guy and anyone is capable of doing things that I've done. It's just a matter of sort of that determination, purpose and, and actually want and desire to do it. Um, because Lauren, in, in, in a way, was actually a bit of an experiment for me because... A lot of people think that, you know, you've got to be a hardcore adventurer to go on these trips. She knocked out 102 days camping in the outback with a toddler walking sort of like 20 to 30 kilometers each day. Um, and that was her first real experience in the outdoors. Before she'd met me, she'd been, you know, camping, you could count on one hand. Um, anyone, and I think it's it's my most, the thing I get most irritated about, I think the two most, um, not evil, but just the, the most, sorry, I'm getting frustrated thinking about it. The words I can't. Yes, yeah, I absolutely yeah. hate hearing the words I can't. And, um, you know, I, I used to always say, I, I can't, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I remember being in sort of high school and automatically, you know, signing up for a school musical, then being too shy, too shy to rock up uh, to the auditions because I was just too, you know, I can't do that. I can't possibly compete against other people. Why would I get that? Um, the Tasman sort of opened up my eyes to a blinker saying that, you know, how can I? How can I do these things? Um, I love speaking. I do a lot of corporate speaking, a lot of speaking to schools and all that sort of jazz. Uh, and... I love it when you speak to a youth audience. They tend to say, how can I do something like that? Rather than an adult, adult audience that says, I wish I did. Yeah, I think that, that's a really uh, important and well-made point. Um, and I, th- I think there's a, there's a nuance where I, I think you're right and sometimes society sort of beats beats high expectations out of ourselves so we just accept a little role that we think we've been given and that's the end, all we deserve. But there's another thing where you should push yourself on things that you want, not things that you don't really want but you think you should do. So just like Lauren doesn't want to get to the top of the corporate tree because that doesn't float her boat, therefore she shouldn't do that, is you you also shouldn't walk to the South Pole because someone else wants you to. It's, so I think what what becomes really inspirational and encouraging is if you meet somebody who does want to do something that's pretty uh, stretching and then they have doubts whether they can achieve it, you go, absolutely no worries, mate. You can do this yeah. if you do X, Y, and Z. But not... I see some people, I, I do speaking like you, uh, whether it's work-life balance or whatever else, is you've got to be mindful about what you authentically want. Yeah. Listen with the ear of your heart about what makes Justin Jonesy Justin Jonesy, and then go for it full on. Don't try and be Nigel Marsh or someone else. It would be... A, I, I probably could do your Outbreak expedition, yep. uh, maybe, uh, but I don't want to. Yep. That doesn't mean it's not an amazing thing, an incredible film that I advise everyone to watch. But it's about choosing your own path authentically and then not accepting limited 
um, expectations. It's the most beautiful thing to see when a person's actually on that path and they're doing exactly what they want. And they, you, know, you can see they're in, in um, you know, peak state or they've got that sort of a zen kind of going yeah. on about them and they're flowing. Um, and I think the best, the best compliment I've ever received in my life was after a presentation about the Tasman journey. Uh, someone came up to me and said, you know what, I thought you'd be physically uh, much more um, impressive. You know, I didn't realise you were so fat. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is kind of, I was expecting a six foot foot tall, you know, brick shit house giant of a man, and you're just a normal bloke. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's the point. But with some good dance moves. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you uh, a penultimate question, uh, and that is, who is your favourite adventurer and why, living or dead? Have you heard of a chap called John Muir? John Neal? John Muir. No, I haven't. He is Australia's most prolific he's just he's the adventurer of Australia 100% okay. he is alive um, he's alive yep. he's he's mad as a cut snake but he's an absolute legend so uh, I think I first met John I, I've followed him for years and years and years so we're talking sort of hardcore rock climber back in the day I mean he still is uh, North Pole South Pole Everest um, he's the only person sort of in I suppose European history to have crossed Australia on foot unsupported hunting gathering living off the land huge person why I wanted to do an outback expedition so and, and he's, he's prolific. He's just, he's epic. And the first time I think I properly met him was actually at a function. So I had been selected as part of, uh, I suppose, the top 50 greatest explorers that Australia's sort of produced. And I was really honoured by that honour. But John Muir was one of the other ones. And so they tell us, launch function, it's black tie. So I'm there wearing my you know, monkey suit and everything. I listen to the rules to a degree. And what does John wear? He's wearing a kilt, sparring. He's got alligator sort of boots. He's got this boar, like a, a, um, a singlet top, um, boar's tooth necklace. And that's just him. That's He's just this this character. He just, oh, like, he, just to be around him is pretty awesome. And, and has, has he got family or is, 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 he, is he pursuing the, the, the solo path? He's, he's got a wife, yeah, he definitely right. has. Um, so they live down on a little uh, sort of off-the-grid farm down, um, down in Adelaide, I think, uh, which is off more South Australia, I should say. Um, awesome. Uh, he's just a super guy. You should read up about him. Yeah, I'm going to. Well, so now here we go. And it needn't be this chap. Is um, the question I always ask my guests um, just before we wrap up is who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next? And and don't limit yourself. Anybody who is alive on this planet, we will track down. So if you could choose, ideally, who would it be? Can I have a second? Oh man, that's. God, I hadn't prepared that. Um... Okay. Well. My, my field's adventure, so I think I'm kind of skewed towards towards a certain thing. I mean, there's a chap called Reinhold Messner, which I've I've heard of him. I right. think he's he's probably the most. Um, he's the mountaineer. He's the mountaineer. Yeah, yeah, the most renowned sort of sort of alpinist of all time. Um, and I think his mindset would be pretty amazing to sort of delve into. He's now sort of. Uh, an old chap now, so he's not doing this kind of crazy stuff that he used to, but he would be pretty fascinating to have on this show. Mate, you are a legend for coming on this show. I really appreciate your honesty and authenticity. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. The Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Sound production and theme music by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicholish. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or 
search The Five of My Life on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>